Good morning. Well, I have been in the last two weeks since Pentecost Sunday and then last week uh, and concluding today, a series on the Holy Spirit. And we began on on Pentecost uh, talking about the gift of the Holy Spirit, where Jesus told the disciples that the Father was going to send another advocate. More of the same was the idea, more of the same of Jesus to them. And that this, this Holy Spirit who they couldn't see would be better than the flesh and blood Jesus that they could see. And in other words, when Jesus was in Jerusalem or Galilee or wherever Jesus was, that's where, that's where he was. But now with the advent of the Holy Spirit, he's with us always. He's with us here at Central Church. He's with our, our mission team down in Panama. He's with that most remote missionary in the, in the far corner of the world. The Holy Spirit is with us. And that's good news. That's good news for us. And then last week we talked about why do I need the Holy Spirit? What difference does the Holy Spirit make in our lives? And I, and I likened uh, the infilling of the Holy Spirit as if the Holy Spirit could make us, I used a silly illustration, into a better baseball player. Now the Holy Spirit doesn't make you a better baseball player. I said if he did, if the Holy Spirit made you a better baseball player, then there would be a marked difference in your athletic ability. That you would be, you would be, you know, if it's God Almighty that has overtaken you, then you wouldn't, uh, you, there would be a huge difference. And so we talked about how the difference in, in a person who has the Holy Spirit and the difference in a person that doesn't have the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit's not going to make you a better golfer. Uh, you know, if you were a lousy golfer before you became a Christian, you're still going to be a lousy golfer. Eventually, you'll probably say less words when you hit a bad shot when you have the Holy Spirit in you. But, but that's a whole other story. The truth of the matter is there should be a difference in the life that is lived with the Holy Spirit than the one that's without. And today we want to tackle uh, the, the question of what does it mean really in, in play, how does it play out in real life when I'm in step with the Holy Spirit? Once you've asked Jesus in your heart, he's forgiven you of your sins, the Holy Spirit is living within, the one that Jesus promised, the comforter, counselor, advocate, parakletos, the Greek word, once he's in, what, what difference does that make? Now, let's just be c- clear on this. You don't need the Holy Spirit if you just want uh, a little bit of Jesus to kind of spiritualize your life. If you need a dash of Jesus, you don't need the Holy Spirit for that. If, if you're looking to just live a semi-moral life, you know, sprinkle a little Jesus in there every now and then, you, you, can, you can be a nice person and not have the Holy Spirit. I know plenty of nice people that are not following Jesus. If you just want to attend church every now and then, you know, when, when the weather's bad or when, you know, your, your kids don't have a soccer game or when you don't have a case of the sniffles, you know, and you just want, all you need to do that is an alarm clock. You don't, you don't need the Holy Spirit to do that. You only need the Holy Spirit of God if you're truly wanting to follow Jesus with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You only need the Spirit of God if you want to do what Jesus said to do, and that is love even your enemies. You only need the Spirit of God if you want to do what Jesus said to do, that is to bless even those that persecute you. You only need the Spirit of God if you truly want to give God your all, your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Paul put it this way. He said, but we have these treasures in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We're hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, 
but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. No, we carry, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus might be revealed in our body. So what Paul is saying is you only need the Spirit of God if you're pressed on every side, if you're perplexed, if you're persecuted, if you are struck down, if you are facing those things that would normally defeat a person and send them into a tailspin, if those are those circumstances, which for all of us will come at some point or another, and if we want to live victorious, that's when we need the Holy Spirit. If we want to live what Jesus called the abundant life, remember he said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. If we want to live the abundant life, not the easy life, not the skating through life life, not the born with a silver spoon in your mouth life. No, the, the, the abundant life, the world-changing life, the life in the spirit life, the life, the every day with Jesus life. If you want that, then you don't, you don't need just a dash of Jesus. You don't need, you know, uh, some folks just want kind of like a get-out-of-hell-free card. And they, they pray sort of like, like this, oh, dear sweet Jesus, please join the party of my life. I know I have this sin and that bad habit and I got that addiction and I've got that destructive relationship and I'm really not wanting to change anything. I'm sure not going to forgive those that wronged me. I'm going to get even. And, 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 I, and I don't really want to change much in my life. But if you want to tag along, okay, you can. You know, I'll let you. And life will be mostly good and you can tag along. You can follow me wherever I go, Jesus. But when those who pray a prayer that say they want to have their whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. Just a dash of Jesus won't do. And so their prayer is, oh, dear, sweet Jesus, you're the best thing that's ever happened to me. And I want to turn away from all sin and all selfishness. And I, I, I want to let go, and I want to walk with you, only you. You're my life. So help me, Jesus, to walk away from anything that will keep me enslaved or, or, or discouraged or defeated. Jesus, I want to follow you, only you. Where you lead me, I will follow. That's, there's a difference in those prayers. We had a guy in, in one of my churches, an old guy who on Sunday nights, kind of like what we do here on Sunday nights, and we have testimony time, and every time we had Sunday night service and every time we had testimonies, I could count on, if no one else was going to share a testimony, this guy was, and every single solitary testimony, he always ended it the same way. Where he leads me, I will follow. And he meant it. He was, he was, he was meant it. See, there's a difference in those prayers. Do you invite Jesus to follow you? Or are you wanting to follow Jesus? Are you praying, God, come and be a part of what I'm doing? Or are you praying, God, I want to be a part of what you're doing? See, which more accurately describes your prayers? Are you wanting a dash of Jesus, just turning Jesus into a condiment, something that, you know, you sprinkle on and it'll make it taste a little bit better? Are you acting like, like you're doing some big favor to Jesus so that he can follow you? When I was a, a boy, my brother is seven years older than me, my brother Fred, and every now and then when my mom had an appointment or had to be gone or whatever, she would ask my brother Fred, you know, to, to watch after me, let me tag along with him. And my brother begrudgingly, reluctantly, would sometimes do that. And after my mom had already left out of her earshot, he would say, all right, let's go. But when my friends are around, you don't say anything. And if we're playing baseball, don't think about, don't even think about playing. He said, you, you sit there, you watch, you be quiet, that's it. That's it. 
know, he was seven years older, and he could give hard noogies. And so I, you know, I sat, I'd be quiet, I, you know. And I think sometimes that's our approach to Jesus. All right, you can follow me, Jesus. You can tag along. But when my friends are around, why don't you go to the back corner? You, you just sit, you watch, you be quiet, don't bother me. Or are we praying, I need the all-consuming presence of the Holy Spirit in my life. I want to experience the abundant life. I, I want to experience, I want to experience the Holy Spirit-led life. I want to experience God's power and might. And so when life throws curveballs, because life always does, I want to know that I've got the Holy Spirit in me and I can overcome any of those things that come my way. I need the consistent experience of of, of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control in my life. I want to follow Jesus. I don't, want him, I don't want him following, tagging along after me. I want to follow him. Do you remember how Jesus described this, this way of living? He said it this way, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. Now take up our cross in our culture, in our uh, language, sometimes means those having a semi-good attitude when life throws at us, you know, uh, typical burdens. So, like, if, if, you know, we're dealing with a terrible two-year-old toddler, or even if a serious thing, even if we lose our job, or, or if our teenager is getting out of hand a little bit, we say, well, that's just the cross I've got to bear. You know, I know the Lord's going to, that's just my cross. When Jesus said that if you want to be a follower of his, you need to daily pick up your cross and follow him. Those people in the first century, they knew what crosses meant. Crosses meant death. Crosses meant, meant, meant sacrifice. Crosses weren't easy. So Jesus is saying, take up your cross. Be willing to suffer anything. Be willing to forsake everything for the cause of Christ. It's a call to a radical faith. And, and you can't have a radical faith with just a dash of Jesus, a sprinkling of Jesus. When you invite Jesus to follow you, that's not what we're talking about. No, to have that type of faith, it's an infilling of the Holy Spirit. It's a willingness to go where the Holy Spirit wants you to go. I will follow. Where you lead me, I will follow, even when it's not always easy. Do you remember the, the story that Jesus told in uh, Luke 21 about the lady with the two copper coins? Jesus was watching people put in their offering in the offering box. And the rich folks went first, and so they would pour in their offering, you know, and it'd make a loud noise. It wasn't like paper bills now or online giving now. It was coin, and it was, or it was gold, and so they would pour it in and make a huge noise, and people would whistle and shout, Woohoo! look at what they're doing for the Lord. Wow! And then there was this widow. In fact, Jesus calls her a poor widow who only had a couple of little pennies, a couple of little copper coins, and this is what Jesus said. Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Jesus commends that poor widow. There was no one shouting. There was no whistles when she dropped in her two little coins. In fact, maybe some people were looking down their noses at her. She only gave two little coins, come on. But Jesus praises her for not holding back. She literally gave everything she had. She was a poor widow, no other means to support herself. She gave her all. What if the Holy Spirit asked you to do the same thing?
You know, remember the rich young ruler story? He came, what do I have to do to follow you? And Jesus said, well, you've got to sell everything you got. Follow me. I preached on that dozens of times. I can't do that, Jesus. He turned around. What if, what if the Holy Spirit asked you to do that? Now, before you give me all the reasons why the Holy Spirit would never ask you to sell everything and follow him, before you give me those reasons, what if he did? How would you respond? Would I give up everything for Jesus? Everything. You see, that, that challenged me like crazy. I want to say, yes, yes, absolutely, of course, everything, everything, everything. I'll give it all to Jesus. But in reality, sometimes that's a tough one to swallow. You know, there's things I like. I, 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 I like going out to dinner. I like watching the Tigers win. It never gets to happen, but I like watching that. I like that. Those very rare occurrences. I, I like going on trips. Pastor, none of those things are sinful things. You're right, none of them are. But that doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit might occasionally, might even permanently, for his purposes, ask me to give something up. Jesus says, take up your cross daily and follow me. It's not a dash, not a sprinkle. It'd be a whole lot easier if we said, Jesus, why don't you just follow me? Just join in what I'm doing. But that's not what this is about. This is saying, are we willing to follow Jesus anywhere, everywhere? I preached on the point of salvation before, how when we become a Christian, we get all of Jesus. We get all the Holy Spirit. We don't get some of Jesus, some of the Holy Spirit. No, no, no. We get all of Jesus when we ask Jesus to come into our heart. And sanctification is when Jesus gets all of us. Sanctification is when we say, all right, all right, Lord, you got, you got all of me. I'm going to follow where you go. I'm going to do what you want me to do. If you, if, you want, if, you want to be, if you want me to be like that rich young ruler, if you want me to be like that poor widow, and you say, give it all, I want to be saying, that's me, I'm going to give it all. Now, that's not easy. There's a phrase that the Bible uses to, dis, to, to talk about or, or describe this type of lifestyle. Paul uses it twice in the book of Galatians, in Galatians chapter 5. He says, so I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. And then, and then a little later down, same chapter, same conversation, he says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So living by the Spirit, walking with the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit, same idea as Jesus, picking up your cross and daily following him. What, what that implies is that the Holy Spirit, the infilling of the Holy Spirit is not a one-time event, not just a, a simple, you know, bump my head on the altar uh, once, twice, and I got all I need to get. No, this life in the Spirit, in step with the Spirit, daily picking up my cross and following Him is a continual thing. It's a ongoing, constant pursuit of Jesus. It's living for Jesus, following after Jesus. Where he leads me, I will follow today and tomorrow and the next day and the day after that and the day after that and the day after that for all the days of my life. Paul wrote it this way. He says, for, for we all see with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory and are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Paul is talking about this process of being transformed into an ever-increasing 
glory. It's saying, I want more of this. I, I want my life to be so consumed by the Holy Spirit that, that there, there's, there's no telling the difference between what the Spirit wants, what I want, where the Spirit goes, and I go. I want this ever-increasing transformation in my heart and life. I'm not satisfied with where I am. I want to be all with God. I'm not satisfied with, with where I'm, I'm at right now. I want to be all with this ever-increasing glory coming on. It's in step with the Spirit. It's walking with the Spirit. It's, it's picking up my cross daily and following Him. Well, how does this work in real life? Let me illustrate it this way. Suppose I, suppose I decided that I needed to lose weight and bought a treadmill. Now, if Carla were in this service, she probably would have shouted a big amen right about then, but, but thankfully she's not, and so it'll be our secret. But suppose I did, and I bought a treadmill, and I put it down in my basement right next to the stationary bike that I never use and the elliptical that I never use. And I put it down there, and I keep it there for, I don't know, six months or so, and after six months, I realized that that treadmill, I have not lost one pound with that treadmill in my basement. And so I take it back to the store and I say, listen, I want to take back this treadmill. I haven't lost one pound with it in my basement. And the, and the nice clerk would say, oh, I'm so sorry, sir. That's terrible. Uh, uh, is it broken? Is there something? I said, I don't know if it's broken and I've never been on it, never touched it. But I know this, I haven't lost one pound with it being in my basement. Oh, that's a silly illustration. Who would, who would expect to lose weight simply because you bought a treadmill and put it in your basement? But maybe it's not all that far-fetched. Let's see if it sounds familiar. I've prayed and prayed and prayed about my anger issues, but I'm still angry a lot of times. I've prayed and prayed and prayed about lust issues, but I still, still check out pornography from time to time. I've prayed and prayed and prayed that, that God would help me to for, forgive, but I still, I still haven't forgiven, and I don't know if I'm ever going to forgive. I've, fill in the blank, whatever sin might be plaguing you. And suddenly that treadmill illustration doesn't become so silly. See, those, those prayers for freedom, for wholeness, from an ongoing sin, it, they, they don't work if all you're going to do is just utter the words and forget about it. Just any more than the treadmill won't help you losing weight if you never hop on it. Listen, freedom from habits or sins, and I've talked about my dad a lot, and so let me just clarify. Freedom from habits or sins, and I told you my dad was an alcoholic. He prayed a prayer, and immediately he never had another drink again. That's not usually the way it works. That's not usually, usually I mean, God can do it that way. He did it with my dad. But that's not usually. God's healing for freedom isn't usually something that's just boom, done. Where you're just kind of a passive participant. Usually, what happens is that God wants us to play an active role in our wholeness. God doesn't need our help. But he, also, he often will, will ask us to, to participate. What I'm saying is, sometimes we've got to get on the treadmill. We can, we can complain about our extra pounds, or we can, we can wish they were gone, or we can say whatever, but until we get on the treadmill, they're not going to go away. And often the journey to freedom and wholeness, it takes perseverance, 
It takes time, it takes persistence, it takes determination, it takes more time. It's being in step with the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit directs, it's, it's listening, it's swallowing our pride, it's, it's, it's giving our self-centeredness over to Him, it's removing our inward focus. See, if you've been stuck in a cycle of sin or addiction, and you've prayed and prayed and prayed to be unstuck, and if it hasn't happened, maybe you've said, well, it just doesn't work for me. This Holy Spirit thing, it doesn't work. Jesus doesn't work. Church, whatever you want to say, however you want to phrase it, it just doesn't work. I've prayed, I've prayed, and it's still, I'm still dealing with all the same junk. Then maybe, can I suggest, maybe you haven't totally understood what it means to be in step with the Spirit and walking with the Spirit. Carl and I will go for, for walks around our neighborhood from time to time, and usually what happens is she'll say, Rob, do you want to go for a walk? And, and if I want to, then that will mean, you know, I need to get off the couch and stop watching the, the Tigers lose a baseball game and put on my walking shoes. And in our case, maybe this is why I haven't lost pounds on the non-existent treadmill, I usually get an ice cream cone to, start my, to motivate me to go on this walk. There's a lot of truth to that. I'm not kidding. <laughs> But in order for me to go on a walk, this is so profound. I have to get up and walk. Any other way, it's just Carla going for a walk. And then she'll come home and I'm still sitting on the couch. Listen, my dad, God delivered my dad from alcohol. Sunday night, he prayed, never had another drink. But also, this is what sometimes I forget to tell you, but it's true. My dad stopped going to bars too. He knew that if he walked in, the smell of alcohol would, would, would have him quickly dive back into the place where he was. And he stopped hanging around his drinking buddies because he knew that if he hung around them too much, they would, they would, they would get him and rope him back into some of that same old life patterns. And so, yes, God, God touched him, and he never had another drink. But my dad participated. He never went into a bar. I, we didn't go into any restaurant that served alcohol for... I, several years after my dad became a Christian, not because he thought they were horrible, terrible, and that others were sinners for going in, not that at all. He was worried what would happen to him. He was worried what would happen if those familiar sights and smells and sounds came back on him. He didn't know if he was strong enough, and so we, he didn't risk it. He saw what Jesus did in his life, and he saw where he had been in his life, and he knew that every other man in his family had died, and his mother had died of alcohol poisoning. It was too big of a risk. So yes, God did a work in his life, for sure. But he participated in that journey towards wholeness. Keeping in step with the Spirit. Walking with the Spirit. It implies a continual, habitual, active interaction with the Spirit. Let me repeat that. Life in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit. It, it causes us, it implies an active, habitual Interaction with the Holy Spirit, ongoing, daily. I daily pick up my cross and follow Him. You see, I need the Holy Spirit every day, not just when I'm in church, not just for this hour, but I need, maybe more so, I need it tomorrow at the workplace or, or at school or wherever we are, or in our homes even, or in our neighborhoods. And for that to happen, it's a continual, habitual, active interaction. 
so that the fruit of the Spirit might dwell in me. I told you last week, the person who has the Spirit, it should be different from the person that doesn't have the Spirit. The person that has the Spirit are demonstrating those in more and more increasing ways, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control. And the person that doesn't, you can tell, that doesn't have the Spirit, it's fits of rage or selfishness, Paul says, or dissensions, or anger, or bitterness, or lust, or envy, or jealousy, or pettiness, or greed. Listen, the Holy Spirit cannot, will not, uh, steer you into sin. Doesn't happen, ever. God has nothing to do with sin. So if the Holy Spirit is in you as a believer, and you're following after Jesus, if you sin then the fact of the matter is you haven't been listening to the Holy Spirit. It's as simple as that. Now, when I was a kid, there was a comedian. Some of you will remember this comedian. Anyone in the second service, they won't know this comedian at all. But some of you may remember Flip Wilson. Remember Flip Wilson? Yeah, see, you're laughing. Remember one of his famous taglines was, the devil made me do it. Do you remember that? Listen, the devil tempts, the devil lies, the devil deceives, He's our enemy, no doubt, no doubt, no doubt. But if you give in to sin, you're not listening to the Holy Spirit. And if you have the Holy Spirit in you, believe me, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. Are you listening? See, if you refuse to listen to the Holy Spirit, if you refuse to acknowledge Him, if you refuse to be in step with Him, then pretty soon you won't be in step at all. It's a habitual, continual Active interaction with the Holy Spirit. That's what's desperately needed. I heard an old missionary uh, tell, tell a story. She had been a missionary for, I don't know, 50 years, and she had come back, she, she, and she was talking at a ladies' conference, and she was telling how when she first went to the mission field 50 years earlier, she was really, really lonely, single, single missionary. She was really lonely. And she said she noticed how some of the other missionaries who were married and they had kids and they didn't have that. And so she prayed and prayed and prayed that God would provide for her a husband. And she prayed and prayed and prayed. And she said, I just knew that God was going to answer that prayer. One of the ladies at the conference raised her hand and said, well, God didn't answer that prayer. You're single. You've always been single. And she said, well, you're right. I'm single. But somewhere out there, is a 74-year-old man who's been resisting God's will for the last 50 years. <laughs> we laugh at that story. But the truth of the matter is those who refuse to listen to the Holy Spirit, refuse to be in step with the Holy Spirit, shouldn't wonder why they keep slipping into the same sins over and over and over again. Why do I keep falling into the same patterns? Why do I keep falling into the same sins? because you're not in step with the Holy Spirit. He won't steer you wrong. He will speak to you. He will talk to you. And we have to listen. Again, at salvation, we get all of God. We don't get some of God. We get all of God. We get all of the Holy Spirit. But sanctification is saying, God, I want you to have all of me. I'm tired of being on this, on this, on this two steps forward, three steps back type of, of Christian walk. That's not victorious Christian living. I want the abundant life. I need you to do a work so deep in me that I can say yes, completely yes to you, whatever that yes is. And see, just as you can't lose weight by watching a treadmill and you can't go for a walk with your wife while you're sitting on the couch, you can't grow in the Lord without your involvement. 
You need Jesus, but Jesus needs you. One more, I'm going to try to circle back around and say the same thing one more time. If I were to make Country Time Lemonade, you need two ingredients for Country Time Lemonade. You need Country Time Lemonade mix, and you need water. That's all you need. You can't have Country Time Lemonade if you don't have the Country Time Lemonade mix. And you can't have Country Time Lemonade if you don't have water. You need both ingredients in order to have Country Time Lemonade. And it's similar, it's similar in our spiritual walk. If we never respond to God, if we ignore his whispers of the Holy Spirit, if we refuse to listen, if we don't want to be in step with the Holy Spirit, if we just want a dash of Jesus, then don't wonder why your spiritual life is going nowhere. We need both. God's working, our responding. Paul, Paul, in his letter to the Philippians, wrote a very interesting thing. In fact, you might think it's contradictory because in the same sentence he says what seems to be two different things. This is what he writes in Philippians 2. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, here you go, listen to this. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do you notice in one breath it seems like Paul is saying two different things. He's, he's saying work out your own salvation. You gotta do what you need to do. You need to, you need to work out your salvation. That's what you gotta do. Fear and trembling. Work out your salvation. But then in the very next breath, same sentence, just a comma separating it. He said it's God who works in you. God will do what God needs. So you work out your own salvation. Fear and trembling. It's God who works in you. So which is it? Do I work out my salvation? Or is it God that works in me? And Paul would say, yes. Yes. God does the work in you. We need, we need God's sanctifying work in us. We can't do that on our own. We need God to empower us and enable us and, 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 and cleanse us. But God needs us to say, yes, Lord. God needs us to pick up our cross daily. God needs us to be in step with him. Just as we can't lose weight on a, on, just by watching a treadmill, just as we can't go for a walk with our wife while we're sitting on the couch, just as you can't make lemonade, country time lemonade without water, God needs our participation. It's not much. It's just a willing heart. It's not a lot. It's just saying, Lord, you got me. All of me. I don't want a dash of you. I don't want you to follow me. I want to follow you. There's a famous date in our, in our nation's history, April 9th, 1865. It was on that date in the Appomattox Courthouse in Virginia, two great warriors, Robert E. Lee of the Confederate Army and Ulysses S. Grant of the Union Army, met to sign the, the surrender papers. And thereby, with their signatures, it ended the, the Civil War in which 600,000 Americans lost their life. Imagine that, 600,000 it is said that when, when Robert Lee was signing the papers, he was down to 26,000 men. That's all they had. And, and, and at the, as they signed those, those papers, Ulysses S. Grant uh, had the, the Confederate soldiers had to lay down their weapons. But if they had a horse or a mule, they could keep it because plowing season was coming up and he wanted them to go home and plow their fields. He also ordered that they give uh, 25,000 rations to the Confederate Army so that those men who were, some of them were starving to death, would have food to enable to get them home. 
Now, we don't have, I, we, we're not in, you know, a regal courthouse. And I don't have a fancy surrender papers for you to sign. I don't even have a pen. But really what this is about, what this whole, these last three weeks has been about, is just getting us to the place where we say, sign the papers of our life over to Jesus. And say, I surrender all to you. I don't even know what that means necessarily, Lord. I, I, I just know that, that I'm tired of trying to do things on my own with a dash of Jesus. I'm tired of trying to live a semi-moral life and trying to make it on my own, and, and, and it just really doesn't work that way. I, I'm, I'm tired of, of asking you to tag along in my life. I want to tag along with your will. I want to be where you want me to be. I want to do what you want me to do. And so what I'm asking is, are you willing to sign that paper? Saying, all to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. We used to sing that song a lot in church. We're going to sing it this morning. And if you've really never surrendered your whole will, you've asked Jesus into your heart, maybe. you got all of Jesus, but he doesn't have all of you. Today's a good day to say, Lord, you've got all of me. I don't even know what that means. My future, my, my plans, my whatever, you got all of me. You can count on me. Why don't we stand? Let's sing this, this, this course through, and then we're going to pray, and then we're going to go.